0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Detroit City Cast is presented by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is the industry leader when it comes to online sports betting and it has you covered for the NFL season. They are offering same-gay parlays in all pro football matchups. They are bringing back their Reduce the Juice promotion on game days. And this NFL season, they have a $1 million Beat the Spread Challenge with thousands of dollars given away each week. Pro football betting is more rewarding at Bet Rivers. Download the app or go to BetRivers.com to bet.
1: This is the Detroit City Cast with Dan Leach, presented by Bet Rivers.
2: And welcome in, Fine Citizens. Happy Manic Monday here on the Detroit City Cast. A lot to get to, including a sit-down with Michigan star running back Blake Corum. We'll look ahead to Michigan, Georgia. We're going to continue to take a look at as we go forward over the next couple of weeks leading up to the game at different sides of the ball, different matchups when it comes to Michigan and Georgia. We'll, of course, also talk about Michigan State and Pittsburgh as we get closer to the Peach Bowl as well. And, of course, we'll relive, not for that long a period of time, but we'll take a look back at what happened yesterday in the Mile High City with the shorthanded Lions, who seemed like they might have had a chance for a Vic Fangio firing squad game. Earlier in the the first half, and then obviously everything went to hell and a handbasket in the second half when it came to the Lions' performance, shorthanded, of course, missing seemingly half the team and no running backs to speak of. A little Reynolds wrap had a nice afternoon. Uh, But that was, you know, totally expected for the Lions to get blown out uh, by a Denver team still fighting for a a possible playoff spot. And while it was fun for a minute, and I, I had fun watching with my good Broncos friends, and, you know, we started trolling each other, even though there was no need to because it was like a lose-lose for my good friend Dave Faxton Rieger, who's a big Broncos slap that's never lived anywhere but Michigan, so I always give a, a lot of crap for that. But if the, Bron- the Broncos should have won big anyway. And if they did it, it would be one of the most embarrassing losses in recent NFL history, and he was in a lose-lose. But, of course, you know, for his sakes, they won, and, you know, the line's... The Lions were the Lions after their nice miracle, you know, last second win last week, two weeks ago now, against Minnesota. So we'll delve into that for uh, a little while as well. But let's get right into our trip to the Motown betting window. It's presented by our great friends at Bet Rivers. And I want to start with this news. You know, the Chicago Bulls are having some major COVID issues. And they just canceled a couple of their games, including the Pistons and Bulls on Tuesday night. So that game has been postponed. Uh, The Bulls had, you know, two games in a row uh, that have been now postponed for them. So we'll monitor that situation, of course, here. uh, I don't think that they have named a rescheduled date as of yet, but we know that the Bulls uh, had a game against the Pistons uh, tomorrow night, and tonight they were supposed to play the Raptors. Uh, I'm sorry, that game was uh, supposed to be on December 16th. So both those next two games for the Chicago Bulls are postponed, but it obviously affects the Pistons here locally. Um, and the Wings will get it going tomorrow uh, back at it. There's only one game, and actually it was the, the Chicago Blackhawks. That game postponed because uh, of you know situations around uh, the, the same building being used by the Bulls there. But we will have the Wings lifting off at home tomorrow night against the Islanders. And boy, the, the Red Wings... Still with 29 points, still 13, uh, 12, and three, but really have not played great hockey as of late. They really got to kind of turn things around and get back on the positive side as we get closer to the end of the year. And, and I still think this Wings team definitely has a great chance to make the playoffs. And as they continue to grow through this rebuild, that would be that would definitely be a extremely successful season, no matter what happens uh, come playoff time. If they, you know, made it and, and got swept, if they made it and won a series. For this team to make it would be pretty incredible. Right now, they are only a point down out of the second wild card, which is currently occupied by Boston. Uh, the Penguins have 33 points. The Wings have 30 or 29, so they're four behind that first wild card, and they're just one behind the the Bruins, who have one point. And the Wings have beaten the Bruins this year as well. The Wings have been, you know, solid at home nine three and two. They've been terrible on the road. 4-9-1. They're just 5-4-1 and one in their last 10, including losing three in a row. So hopefully some good stuff from the Wings over the next couple weeks getting set to end this year, calendar year, and move in to January. Let's take a look at the latest uh, college football playoff odds, and then we'll get into the bowl game odds as well and the semis for the Wolverines. Right now, Bama plus 115 at Bet Rivers To win it all. Georgia plus 140. Wolverines have been only steady at six and a half to one for the last week or so in Cincinnati 20 to 1. And I know some of you might be carrying tickets like I am. I I told you weeks ago, it was after the Indiana game for Michigan, that I laid a a bet on the Wolverines to win it all at 50 to 1. And then it went down to, you know, 35 to 1, 33 to 1, 25 to 1, 12 to 1, and then as low as four to one. And what my hope is is that Michigan can get by Georgia, and that's obviously a big if, but it should be a great game. And I think Michigan's got a a great chance to beat them, even as a significant underdog. If they do, then of course I can hedge in the title game. And if if it's Bama, I won't be able to make as much of a hedge because they'll be a favorite against uh, the Wolverines. But if it's Cincinnati somehow, if Michigan wins and Cincinnati beats Alabama, then I'm in a beautiful hedging situation. So that's kind of what I... I made that bet for fun. I told, you know, we talked about it on the show. I said, listen... Michigan's got to beat Ohio State. You know, they would have to win the Big Ten title game. But it sets up with those kind of odds at that value that it's worth a flyer of, you know, a half unit or a unit play. I actually normally would have made that for $100. I just made it for 50 And, you know, it would, it would pay out $2,500. <clears throat> and what I'm hoping, like I said, is that Michigan can win the, you know, the semifinal game, get to the final, and then, you know, there's a great hedging situation. But I didn't, I, I really just did that because I thought it'd be fun to have some action on Michigan before Ohio State. And had they, you know, gotten by the Buckeyes, then things could have gotten really interesting. And then, of course, closer to the game against Ohio State, I started feeling like, you know what, I think Michigan can win. Because when I made that bet, I, I knew it was going to be very, very difficult for the Wolverines, you know, to beat the Buckeyes. We talked about this, you know, for several different shows and with various guests like Angelique Chagallis and others that we brought on, Dennis and being one too. But as the game got closer and closer, and I know it sounds kooky and hokey to some, I did have that vision, you know, if you saw the picture of me on my Twitter at shiny 71 at like 5.50 a.m. in Michigan Stadium with my hands outstretched. The night before, the little sleep I got, I had had that vision and it came to fruition. It was that Michigan was going to not just win uh, the game against the Buckeyes, but it was going to be this like kind of monumental, program-changing win after all the doldrums and pain and and suffering for the previous seemingly 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, obviously there have been some nice moments. But when you go back to where Rodriguez guys and Brady Hulk, and then, of course, what Harbaugh was able to not do in the biggest moments until this season, I just kind of had that that vision, and I started really feeling like the Wolverines would have a chance. That's why I made that wager. But now, not, not a, a bunch of value at 650, you know, plus six and a half to one. But if you're out there and you wanted to put a little action on the Wolverines, because then obviously if they win that game against Georgia, it's going to go way down. There's still a little value, but it's not a 20 to one or a 50 to one. Like I got it at, and I know there's a lot of money, a lot of people putting a ton of money on Alabama right now through what they were able to do to Georgia in the SEC title game. I say not so fast. I don't think Alabama's going to run away with it against Cincinnati. I think Michigan's got a great chance against Georgia. Let's take a look at the the up-to-the-second lines right now when it comes to the two bowl games. We'll start with Michigan State and Pittsburgh, and we've discussed this game, you know, that there's big news about Kenny Pickett likely not playing in this, this contest, and that's why the line has gone all the way to Michigan State minus 2.5, minus 113. Remember, when this line came out, it was Pittsburgh minus 4.5. And, and with the news about Kenny Pickett and Whipple, the OC from uh, Pittsburgh, going and taking the same job at Nebraska, and that upset Kenny Pickett fence. You, you've seen a six-point move. That is huge. So the Spartans minus 2.5, minus 113. Pittsburgh plus 2.5, minus 108 right now at bet rivers the Spartans minus 130 on the money line, Pittsburgh plus 107 and the total is kind of stuck where it's been for the last week or so 60 and a half over minus 112, under minus 109. And just a reminder as we get bowl season started in earnest coming up later this week on the 17th I am going to give you a pick on every single bowl game. Now, not every bowl game is going to be a... I'm going to rank them one through five stars. So, not every bowl game is going to be a three or four or five. But I will make a pick, either a side or total or both, on every single bowl game. I've had a very successful uh, bowl season the last several years, so we'll keep that going for you. Uh, and I can't wait for bowl season to get going later this week. Michigan-Georgia right now, the Orange Bowl and the College Bowl Semi uh, in Miami. Still Georgia minus eight. It's kind of been r- right around there. There's been... Even money on both sides of this. There's definitely been a little more public money on Michigan, uh, but there's been some sharp money earlier on, on the Georgia Bulldogs. They're minus 8, minus 108 at Bet Rivers. The Wolverines plus 8, minus 113. Georgia on the money line, minus 335. The Wolverines plus 245. The total up a little bit uh, was 43.5 last week. Now it's 44.5 over minus 113. There has been a play on the over. I mentioned early on when the line first came out. That was my lean. I just feel like this game's going to be a little higher scoring. Uh, than, than, you know, Vegas does. Uh, the under, by the way, 44.5 minus 108. And you look at the, the disparity between that game and the Cincinnati Alabama game, you know, the total wise, it's 14 extra points, 14 points higher against with Cincinnati Alabama. And it's not like Georgia and Michigan have bad offenses. I mean, obviously, the quality of opponent on both sides of the ball between Georgia and Michigan is better than Cincinnati Alabama. But Cincinnati is a good team, and they can score a lot of points as well. But the Bama defense, of course, really, really good. So, that's why the total is much higher, but I thought that was a, a crazy disparity. And that's you see you're seeing the Michigan total, Michigan-Georgia total go up a little bit right now. Uh, and now it's at 44 and a half. Uh the overs I mentioned, minus 113 at Bet Rivers. And the Lions and the Cardinals. Now, of course, the Cardinals play tonight on Monday night football. I actually am a, a big backer of the Rams tonight. And right Bet Rivers right now, they're plus three minus one oh nine money line. Plus 132. I, that line's been kind of at two and a half most of the week. I think it was there for a reason. There's a lot of sharps, uh, like myself, on the Rams. But the line is already up for Lions Cardinals. Of course, they'll probably come down when the Monday Night Football game starts in case of any injury situations. It opened 14, and it's down to 13 and a half. Cardinals minus 13 and a half at Ford Field. Of course, they're going for the overall one seed in the NFC. And of course, for their division in the NFC West, And the Cardinals will probably come in. And make the lines look silly, especially if the lines continue to be down a bunch of players like they were last week, including DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson, and you know the flu and COVID's going through Allen Park. Uh, but even if the Lions were fully healthy, the Cardinals still would be a significant favorite like this, probably at least 11 and a half, 12. But yeah, it's 13 and a half right now, minus 113 at Bet Rivers for the Cardinals. Lions plus 13 and a half, minus 108, and the money line for the Cardinals minus 835. Lions plus 540, the total 47.5, over, under, minus 110. I definitely do not have a lead on this game. I am not touching the Lions against a team like the Cardinals. I'm looking at the total right now, and I'm thinking if maybe DeAndre Swift's able to play, and Hawkinson, and the Lions have some of their offensive weapons, there would be a lean, small lean on the over, because I think the Lions can score in the 20s. I mean, you saw you in Denver yesterday. I wonder the Lions were going to be able to score some points you know, it's completely shorthand against that Denver defense. But if they're at home, you know, in the Dome, no, whether or not a factor, and it gets some of the, you know, the skill players back, I like think the Lions could score 17 to 20, and the Cardinals might score 40. So that is where I'm looking at right now as far as the game goes. As far as the, the, the side, you know, the, the spread is, I'm not feeling it on either side. I'm not leaning 13 and a half or 14 on the Cardinals, even with the Lions being as, you know, shorthanded and, and lack of skill and depth as they are and I'm definitely not taking the lines plus 13 and a half because that seems like the kind of game that maybe you know ends uh, the lines lose by 15 <laughs> or the lines lose by 14 and the lines you know 13 and a half so stay away from that for now we'll monitor the injury situations throughout the week but definitely a small lean on the over uh, based on some of the players the lines might get back in week 15. all right that's gonna do it for our trip to the Motown betting window presented by our great friends at bet Rivers coming right up my sit-down with Blake Corum, Michigan star running back. He had an awesome event uh, to help give gifts to kids and talk with them and help inspire them uh, through his great friends, the Detroit Police Athletic League. Had a lot of fun talking with Blake Corum. We'll get to that coming right up
1: must be 21. Playable in Michigan only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-270-7117.
2: The mid Midseason Football Special is here. Put the Visa betting experts to work for you from now through February for only $99. Daily best bet emails, 24/7 video streaming, betting splits for every sport, point spread weekly, plus in-depth data and analysis on Visa.com. Sign up today at Visa.com/slash-subscribe and get everything we have to offer for the rest of the football season for only $99. That's VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Well, I was able to sit down with Michigan running back Blake Corum at a really awesome event and concert with the Detroit Police Athletic League where Blake was able to give holiday gifts to young kids and tell them his inspirational story. Here's my conversation with Wolverine's running back, Blake Corum. So, Blake, let's first talk about this. You've had, obviously, a special year personally with the team. But to be able to help give back with Detroit Pal, what does that mean to you?
3: Uh, It it means the world to me, you know. Uh, Being able to give back any chance I get. uh, Like I said, uh, the youth youth means everything to me. Uh, People helped me when I was young, so this is my time to give back um, and inspire the youth. So it means a lot. And,
2: And to have the kind of year you guys have had, and, you know, your coach, Jim Harbaugh, named the coach of the year today. You know, you ripping off that 67-yard run in the Iowa game. When you guys, you know, the Michigan State game, not to bring up a bad memory, but you lose that game, and then everything from there just seemed to come together for you guys. Talk about what the, the feeling around the team was then and what your guys' goals that were still out there were able to reach. Yeah,
3: so after the Michigan State loss, uh, we, we met we, we met as a team. Uh, no coaches, just players. And uh, really, it was really just like fuel to the fire, right? And uh, So once we lost, no one believed in it. You know, ah, this is the same team from every other year. You know, what, what everyone says, right? So uh, we knew we're a brotherhood. That, that, that's what we formed in the summer. That's what we formed. All the workouts, all the, you know, the conditioning we did. Uh, we knew we could stick together and we're going to do this. We knew we had to win out, and uh, we believed in other, believed in the coaches, and that's what we did. Behind yeah, that offensive line, you guys have had you and Haskins and the other guys.
2: What's happening like for you? Oh,
3: man, it, it's been crazy. I don't know if you've seen but our offensive line is up for the best uh, line of oh, yeah. So, you know, running be- behind those guys, you uh, it is amazing, you know, they open up those holes, they gave me a sound one-on-one matchup. and uh, as you can see, you know, we've been making the best of it all year, and so uh, now it's just really just continuing, you know, Georgia has good defense coming up, but, um, you know, we'll continue doing
2: what we do. The last one for you, can you talk about what the feeling is around this team? You mentioned what happened, obviously, the team, you the Michigan State, but to be where you guys were, to be the, the history of Jim Harbaugh kind of is, keep struggling in the games, that they have it all come together this year, what's that been like for you?
3: It's been amazing, you know. Uh, one thing I would say, no, one, no, I don't think really no one really believed in us before the year started, right? Two uh, percent chance of winning that uh, Big Ten championship. Um, just, uh, just two, just two. Yeah, just, just two percent. But uh, you know, we stuck together. Coach Harbaugh, you know, we brought in some great coaches. Coach Mike Hart, moved Coach more to o line. Coach Mike McDonald. Um, so it's been great playing for those guys, and I and I love playing for Coach Harbaugh. Uh, he, he would give anything, you know. The, Get back on that field and uh you know do his drop back and throw pass one good time but um, you know it, it's been great playing for him and now we just really gotta you know keep winning keep winning for him keep playing for him keep playing for each other and uh, success
2: is Great stuff there from Blake Corum and what what a great young kid and you know we're in this kind of period of time where it, it's I think it's great that these kids these college athletes that have been, had so many years of, of schools and other you know entities making money off of them are able to use this NIL money for good purposes. And that's what Blake Corum did. I mean, he was he was responsible for getting those gifts and and being part of this event. And and that's what it, it, a lot of these kids are doing. They're using that NIL that licensing money for good. And you should have seen the look on on the, on the face of these kids There's some videos you can see on my Twitter at DanielChandy71. Just the, the awe of these youngsters and And, you know, seeing a guy that, you know, these guys, these kids were anywhere between, I think it was like 7 and 11. And they asked them before they introduced Blake, you know, who who knows who Blake Corb is? And, you know, a bunch of kids raised their hand, even please the Michigan running back. Like some of these kids, they were there to do some basketball drills. and, And by the way, Blake, you know, Corb was a very good basketball player, played a lot of AAU, played a lot of different sports. He wrestled as well. And they were all like, you know, raising their hand in excitement. And then when he came in, he, they just were hanging on every word. He sat with them in different groups and read books, you know, stories to them and talked about his upbringing and how important it was to set goals and how his father and him would talk about setting goals with each other. And, you know, look where it led to. And and Blake Corum has had just an incredible year. He got banged up a little bit earlier in the season, but ended the year on 141 carries with almost 1,000 yards. He had 939 yards. 11 touchdowns, that incredible 67 yard touchdown run to open the scoring in the Big Ten title game. I remember as I watched that, he was moving from my left to the right when I was, you know, where I was sitting in uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, and just the adulation of the Michigan fans. Because where we were, we were at the 45 yard line where I was sitting. The Iowa fans were all to my left, and that's where Corum started that run in that end zone. And then as he ran towards the other side of the field towards the north end zone. That's where all the Michigan fans were. So I was just watching this, everyone just getting up like the wave and watching him sprint down. And, and Blake actually had mentioned, you know, because J.J. McCarthy was sprinting down the field and some thought, you know, was faster than Blake for a second. And Blake, you know, joked about how he had slowed down for J.J. There's no way J.J. McCarthy is faster than Blake Corb. Blake, J.J. McCarthy is pretty damn fast. But I do think the Blake Corbs uh, a little faster. Uh, but just what what a year he has had, and that one two punch with him and Haskins, and that's as I mentioned, I want to look at parts of the Michigan Georgia game as we go forward. We'll do this throughout the next couple of weeks leading up to the game, and you know the more I think about this, and the more I've talked to people that have covered Michigan, and uh, you know Angelique Chagall is our good friend that's been on our show uh, several times, and one of my all time favorite people, the beat writer for the Wolverines for the Detroit News. She was at that event with with Blake Corum. We were talking about. You know, just when you look at this game, these are teams that are very, very similar to each other. They both have tremendous athletes. They both have defenses that can can really, you know, stick you in the mud and get after you. I mean, obviously, Michigan's got Aiden Hutchinson, and you you look at Aiden Hutchinson (laughs) and what he's able to do, finishing second in the Heisman over the weekend. Congrats to him. Uh, Bryce Young, of course, wins it. And then all the hullabaloo about Kenny Walker not being there. And I'll get get to that in a minute after we we talk about the Michigan-Georgia matchup. But I want to look at the, the running backs for both these teams. You have Haskins and Corbin, and I don't want to forget Edwards and Henning, uh, you know, and, and, and the, you know, what J.J. McCarthy can do on the ground for Michigan. But let's focus on the, the, you know, the two-headed monster that both teams have. Haskins and Corbin combined for 31 touchdowns. And Georgia's got two incredibly talented running backs in Samir White and James Cook, and they they combined for 17 touchdowns. So you've got two running backs on each team that are almost at 20 touchdowns combined. The Wolverines are 31 combined, and that's 48 touchdowns between those four running backs. Over t- uh, 2,000 yards for Michigan. It was 1,288 for Haskins. And, of course, that you know Michigan record five touchdowns against Ohio State. Uh, 939 yards for Corum. Zamir White had 718 yards and 10 touchdowns for Georgia, Cook had 619 yards and seven touchdowns for Georgia. They also have another running back, Kenny uh, McIntosh, who had uh, three touchdowns on the ground. But that this is going to be a big key because I think you look at the game plan. And Michigan, I don't think you try to do what they did against Ohio State against Georgia. Georgia's got, obviously Ohio State's got a, a tremendous amount of top-level athletes as well. But this is a, a Georgia team that is more balanced, I think, than Ohio State is. And if you're the Wolverines, you go back to maybe the game plan against Washington, where Michigan definitely ran the ball a lot, but they threw the ball all around the field. You need to have a balanced attack if you're the Wolverines against Georgia. It can't just be Haskins and you know, Corum you know, mashing in the offensive line, controlling the line of scrimmage, just trying to maul Georgia. That'll be part of the game plan. Of course, that's what Michigan does best. Remember, they opened the season, those first three, four games, they were you know they had 1,000 yards rushing the first four games. You gotta use that to lean on, but you've got to have Kane McNamara throwing the ball all over the field, you know, to Johnson, to Wilson, Eric all, Baldwin, Edwards, have Edwards throw some passes. It's gotta be, I think, a almost 50 50, maybe 60 40 attack, because that's how you could beat that Georgia defense. And conversely for Georgia, because they could be in an issue with Stetson Bennett, the Stetson Bennett experiment. You know, he's looked great at times, but also has, you know, against Georgia, or against Alabama, excuse me, did not. I mean, out of the year, he's got 24 touchdowns and 7 picks and 176.8 uh, quarterback rating. But he's definitely had his moments where he's not looked good. And they've got to find a way to, you know, that Michigan defensive front, Nate Hutchinson getting after him. They've got to have a balanced attack as well and be able to have their offensive line block well enough to get, you know, Ojabo not right to, you know, direct lines to the quarterback. And, of course, Hutchinson as well. And that Michigan front seven that can really be a pain in the ass to stop. And they've got, you know, Georgia's got a great uh, tight end in Brock Bowers, who had 11 touchdowns, almost uh, 800 yards receiving on 47 receptions. Lad McConkey had five touchdowns. Burton had four touchdowns. So they've got some guys that can catch the ball and, and score, you know, get into the end zone as well. So I think that you look at these these two teams and how they want to attack each other's defenses. For the Wolverines, it's got to be a true balance attack, I believe, if they want to beat Georgia, because it can't just be about trying to run the ball first, second, third down, and you know get three on first down and three and a half or four on second down, and then you know try to keep getting first downs by rushing on third down. They've got to keep Georgia off balance. Maybe throw the ball on first down, then run the ball, and maybe sometimes use the 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 pass to set up the run as opposed to what a lot of teams will do is use the run to set up the pass. I think Georgia maybe the other direction. Maybe they use the you know run to set up the pass because Michigan I think has got a little better running game overall but Georgia still has those horses but they've got to be able to fire the ball around the field and you know be able to get big first downs on third and longs and those kind of situations. So that's going to be very interesting to see the two rushing attacks and how it's handled and if it's going to be more similar to the Ohio State game plan for the Wolverines, I think would not be the right case to do against Georgia, or if it's going to be a a more balanced attack, maybe against Washington, or what the Wolverines did against Penn State, or even Wisconsin. So that's going to be very fascinating to see how Josh Gaddis calls that on the offensive side. And then obviously Dan Lanning, of course, is leaving to go to coach Oregon, but he's going to stay with Georgia. The defensive coordinator for the Bulldogs is going to stay with Georgia through the bowl game. So. You know, will there be a distraction? I think that he, the fact that he's staying is, is a great thing for Georgia. But, you know, this guy's going to be starting to talk about recruiting and all that, all the different things that you do when you take over a program, especially as prestigious as Oregon. So it's going to be, you know, it could be a little distraction with that defense. And that's where Michigan's got to pounce on that and take advantage. All right, before we get into the Lions-Broncos rehash, which I know that maybe some of you that wish uh, – you're out there in Denver and could just get high because it's legal out in Denver like it's here in Michigan. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time on that, but I, I do, before we get into that, want to talk about the Kenny Walker not finishing in the top four in the Heisman kerfuffle that's been going on for a week or so. And, and this is simply w- the bottom line. Kenny Walker is incredible. You know, he won a ton of different awards. Well, you know, won the Walter Camp Award. He's one of the best players in college football. <clears throat> but... I think the, 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 college, the student college football fan, and most of you are, and I respect you for all of you for that, I think you understand that the way it works, especially with the Heisman, is that your team has got to be either undefeated or one of the better teams in the country, whether that's fair or not. The, it's, the award is for the most outstanding player in college football, not the most valuable. If it was for the most valuable, then I think Kenny Walker definitely would have finished in the top three, because you take Kenny Walker off of Michigan State's roster, and they probably might win three or four games less, including the Michigan Wolverine win. So I am with you Spartan fans on that. But some Spartan fans have gotten very salty and started to say, well, you know, comparing Hutchinson's numbers with Alabama's defensive you end, know, and, you know, comparing Walker's numbers with other running backs that have made it there. And, and, and listen, it's not this narrative. It's not like the, you know, the voters, the almost 1,000 Heisman voters are coordinating with each other to create whatever the best narrative is for the bowl games and for television. That's that's not the way it works. They're all in different regions, in the South, in the East, in the West, in the Midwest, and they vote based on that. And if you look at what happened in the Ohio State game with Michigan State, and it's not all Kenny Walker's fault, but that game was over in mere minutes, and that eliminated him. Much like if Bryce Young did not lead Alabama back against Auburn, because Auburn probably should have won that game that went to overtime. If they lose that game... He's not probably winning the Heisman, and maybe Aiden Hutchinson does. If Ohio State beat the Wolverines and Stroud had a a great afternoon, uh, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud wins the Heisman. A lot of it has to do, whether it's fair or not, about how the players' teams do in the biggest moments. And when you look at the, the macro view, not the micro view, but the macro view of the big situations, Bryce Young was the quarterback of an Alabama team that's number one in the country, and beat Georgia in the, you know, in the national or this SEC title game as underdogs and was a big reason for that. Hutchinson, you know, the three sacks against the Buckeyes and all he, what he did the entire season. He was incredible. And it's not this like anti-Michigan State thing. It's not trying to create a narrative because Kenny Pickett, you know, was invited to New York, finishing in the top four, and Walker wasn't because they're playing each other in the Peach Bowl. That's not what it is. It was the voters that voted. And they were able to vote up until Monday of last week. Kenny Walker had a phenomenal season. That Buckeye loss for the Spartans knocked him out. And you could you know, debate, should he finish fourth? Should he finish fifth? That's fine. And the other thing is, it's, I know that most of you knew this, but I had some silly nannies on Twitter, and even people that actually I know personally that I think are pretty astute, college football fans, that thought that you know, only certain people get invited to New York. Like they, they decide who the, the sexiest candidates are and that's who gets invited to New York. The people that get invited to New York are who finish first, second, third, or fourth. And a lot of years it's only first, second, and third because fourth is so far away. It has nothing to do with trying to get ratings or who they think would be the coolest person to interview. The people that go to New York, it's based on voting. I know the majority of you know that, but there were so many people, so many more people that I was shocked it didn't. I was just blown away by how some people thought that the invite to New York was a prestige thing and didn't realize it had literally everything to do with how they finished in voting. All right, so let's move on For that. It was a great year for Kenny Walker. I bow down to him. He was incredible for the Michigan State Spartans in their 10-win year. and You know, gets a chance to showcase himself on a national stage in a New Year's Six Bowl. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, the Michigan State Spartans and Pittsburgh Panthers, and If there's no Kenny Pickett fence, that that sucks for Pittsburgh, but that gives Michigan State a great chance to win that game and get an 11th win in Mel Tucker's first full non-COVID season in East Lansing. All right, coming right up, we'll talk a little Lions-Broncos. I promise not that long because that game sucked, but there were some things, once again, that I think we could learn and that we did learn out of the Lions' loss in Mile High on Sunday. We'll get to that coming right up
1: Must be 21. Playable in Michigan only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-270-7117.
2: Well, the Lions came, they went, and then in the end got blasted by the Denver Broncos. No surprise. They were double-digit dogs. They had, you know, multiple players out, including two of their best offensive players, best players in general, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hogginson and Jamal Williams was out. Uh, being on the COVID list and you know this was a game that I did expect the Lions to have a chance of winning once all the news of the flu slash COVID stuff came out and then especially when DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson were officially out and and not active in this one and then of course later in the week Jamal Williams and the Lions are down to guys like you know Reynolds the great Reynolds rap And, and I'll give I'll give Craig Reynolds a lot of credit I mean Craig Reynolds against a pretty good Denver defense had 83 yards on 11 carries but the Lions were down so many different players. Remember, earlier in the week, we talked about how the Lions had covered five of six. You know, they were getting eight, eight and a half points. You know, I loved them in that, you know, scenario because I think the Lions could have controlled a little more of the offense if they had a Hawkinson uh, and DeAndre Swift. Because golf didn't have a terrible day. I mean, Goff was 24-39 for 215 yards a touch at an interception. And the Denver offense is, is pretty putrid. And, and Teddy, Teddy Ballgame only threw for 179 yards, but did throw two touchdown passes in a couple of them. Uh, or one of them, excuse me, was just an incredible play by Javante Williams to get in the end zone, and so was the one by uh, Albert from from him later in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, listen. This is what I think we continue to learn about the Detroit Lions. And it's something that you can't put all your chips in the middle and say, all right, all in with Dan Campbell. You can't do that. But this is a team that has been shorthanded to begin the season because there's a lack of depth and a lack of talent. On the offensive side of the ball, they lost Jeff Okuda, who could have had a great, was trending to have a great second year after a pretty bad uh, first year, being a top five pick as a corner, uh, going back a couple years ago. They were already behind the eight ball to begin with. But this team has been in most of their games, and they seemingly are completely connected to Dan Campbell. Do we know if Dan Campbell's a good coach? Not at all. Are we gonna know this season? Probably not. Do we see Dan Campbell going for it now? What is it, thirty-two times on fourth down? And for the second time in, in two weeks, the Lions have gone for it inside their own 40 yard line against Minnesota, which they ended up winning. They did it at their 28. This I think it was the 35 yesterday. Okay, there's some some wacky decisions Dan Campbell's making. Kicking field goals when he should be going for touchdowns. You know, going for it on fourth down when he should be kicking. I understand all that. But the Lions have nothing to lose this year. This year was never about wins or losses. I've said that from literally the preseason. It was about evaluating talent, evaluating Dan Campbell, and seeing how this team could move itself forward, especially under a guy like Jared Goff, if he's going to be around for, you know, any length of time. And it's probably not going to be the case with Jared Goff. I don't think this is all of Goff's fault. And he still is just 26 going on 27 years old. It's not like Jared Goff, you know, is this wily 37-year-old veteran at the end of his career. Jared Goff with the right weapons could end up being the right kind of quarterback for the Lions. I don't think that's going to happen. We shall see. I think the Lions are going to end up drafting someone this year or hopefully more next year in the draft because this year's crop of quarterbacks, including guys like Spencer Rattler and Malik Willis and some others that look like they were going to be very high-level picks, starting to really, you know, they trended down all season long. So this might not be the year to try to get someone high up. But I'll I'll tell you this. I like the way this team plays for Dan Campbell. It is the opposite of what they were doing for Matt Patricia. And I think the team played pretty damn hard for Jim Caldwell. He could be his own worst enemy at times as well with in-game decisions. But that's what I keep seeing. And yesterday, in Denver, the Lions are out all these different players in one of the biggest injury reports in the history of the NFL, you know, down to their third, fourth, fifth-string running back. You know, not really any wide receivers to speak of, aside from Amon Ross St. Brown, or the game-winning catch against Minnesota, and, and you, know, Reynolds, or, you know, Josh Reynolds from uh, the former Cardinal or excuse me, the former Ram that Jared Goff knew. Aside from that, you really just had anything. You, you had no DeAndre Swift. You had no TJ Hawkinson. You had no Jamal Williams. Um, and, and the Lions, for that first half, they were in the game. I mean, it was 14-10 it was to, to 10. late in that half. The Lions had the ball and could score. They gave up a 50-plus yarder, I think it was a 52-yarder, McManus. So it's 17-10 at the half. And then, of course, they got outscored 21 nothing in the second half. But a lot of teams... That that weren't connected or didn't really care about playing hard for their coach, you, knowing their seasons you know over, and has been over for a while. Might have just gotten blown out from the beginning. The Lions actually were trending to maybe you know take the lead in this game. So I, I I'm really keen on watching how that continues to go the rest of this year. There's not that many games left. I mean the Lions have already played 13 games, so you just have you know four four games left. Till the end of the season, and there's a lot of evaluating you can do in four weeks, especially late in the year when a lot of scrap heap guys or third or fourth string guys, you might start you know playing more roles because of injuries and other factors, and you know Dan Campbell for all the wackiness at times, he he could be the right guy, and there's there's no way to know that this year. There's probably not going to be any way to know until after next season, maybe even longer than that if you're going to do this rebuild the right way. But that is something I continue to see. For much of this season, week in week out, that this team seems connected to their head coach, and that is something that is very important when you're going through a rebuild. And if Dan Campbell ends up being the right guy, and it'd be—I I hope he is. I don't know if the Lions have to find someone else. It is weird, you know, kind of the reverse of what happened with Patricia and Quinn, because Patricia or Quinn kept Caldwell and then got rid of him, and, and brought, after almost going to the playoffs three or four years, and then brought in his own guy. This time, Brad Holmes was hired as GM, but Campbell was already the coach. So, you hate seeing that kind of thing, but hopefully it's the serendipitous situation where it does work out the right way. And that Campbell was the right guy, even though he was there first that Holmes comes in, because the Lions have got to have the right people in all the different places, and in so many different years past, they have not. They've had, you know, a good coach, but a terrible GM. I can't really say they've had a great GM and a terrible coach, but I guess they've had terrible GMs and terrible coaches. But, it's just a whole culture change and a whole, you know, airing out of the dirty and smelly laundry and, you know, Limburger cheese. And with with the way I've already gotten, you know, the, the feelings from Brad Holmes and he seems like he definitely knows what he's doing and was able to move on from Stafford and get this team multiple first-round draft picks going forward and maybe even some more coming up. That is refreshing. And Dan Campbell, I know they are bided the kneecaps thing and, you know, we're going to pound you into oblivion. It's kitschy and fun, and it can get old if you're not winning. But I like that kind of an attitude. I hope Dan Campbell works out. But yeah, is the the moment too big for him at times this season? It it seemed like it. This is the first time he's ever been a head coach, really, with his own team. He was an intern for much of a season in Miami, but he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the official head coach. This is his team. And as I've said, there's going to be a lot of players that will not be around in the next two, three years. Maybe at most 20% of this roster will be around. I mean, guys like Hawkinson, of course, and DeAndre Swift, uh, and Okuda, and some, you know, others like that. But most of the players that you're watching play, you know, the, the Brock Wrights, and, you know, even guys like Khalif Raymond, or, you know, uh, you know Craig Reynolds, and, all, and these guys are going to be around. It's going to be a, a much different looking team, and that's, as you go from, you know, the rebuild and trying to get through it, kind of like what the Red Wings are doing right now, there's some growing pains. But you identify the right players, obviously, in the right coach, all that kind of stuff, and then hopefully come out the other side. And after being bad for two, three years, you can be good for a decade. That all that pain is worth it. I know that some of you want it. You know, you want it now. You're like Farouk Salt. give it to me now. I want it, and I want it now. You've got to be patient. It is worth it, and I think you all know this. Even some of you that are s- super reactionary, that it is so worth it to go through. Tremendous pain and brutal losses and frustrating, you know, 1-11 in, in one season's lines have become a palindrome, by the way. If you can be good for, like, a 10-year period. Like, the Packers have been, and the Steelers have been, and the Ravens have been, and the Niners used to be. and That's all worth it. And that's where the Lions are at right now. And we're going to talk uh, more later this week about my feelings on the draft and where the Lions could be, you know, who they could be taking an overall number one, which looks very likely where they're going to be at. And I will say this, uh, over the weekend, Pro Football Focus came out with one of their latest mock drafts, and they had the Lions taking a guy that I I definitely would love for them to take. I mean, there's still a lot to look at, and a lot of, you know, you have the combine and things like that. But Aiden Hutchinson is who Pro Football Focus has the Lions taking at number one. And I know that a lot of people like Kayvon Thibodeau, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of options there at number one when it comes to whether you want to go a defensive edge with with Thibodeau and, or, or Hutchinson or whether you want to go in a different direction. Um, I think the Lions should draft one of the two edges, but PFF has the Lions taking Aiden Hutchinson, the Heisman runner-up, Heisman trophy runner-up, number one. So we'll look some more at that uh, as this week goes on and obviously, of course, going forward uh, through the rest of the season and towards next year's uh, NFL draft. And sad news. Is it really that sad? The Lions were officially eliminated. I believe it was at 402 Eastern yesterday. They were officially eliminated from playoff contention. The fact that they still were alive at 110-1 was just insane in week 14. But with the seven teams in the playoffs now, and obviously the NFC had a lot of teams that were not, you know, winning a ton of games and at that point, six wins could have gotten you in, and the Lions, having that tie would have given them an advantage over some teams that could have gotten them in if they won out, which wasn't going to happen. But they, i forget forgetting what team it was that won in the 1 o'clock games. Uh, it might have been Dallas. It was one of the teams that won before the Lions started to play. They were That eliminated the Lions. So that was, that was all she wrote on the Lions' miracle playoff chances, which were never happening anyway. Alright, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, please continue to rate and like and share and let your friends and clergymen and sisters and brothers and significant others and everyone, uh, subscribe and know about our Detroit Cinecast. We uh, we love being here for you each and every show. And we have a lot of great stuff coming up uh, throughout the rest of bowl season, NFL playoffs. Great guests. I got some good surprise guests coming up for you as well. Uh, so thanks so much for listening as always. And until next time, keep reaching for the stars. Believe in the dream. Dan Leach, the Squatch, out.